0: Well good morning. good morning. What a great group. Good to see you all here. This is part seven of our series called Unshakeable. We've been looking at the life of the prophet Daniel, been specifically looking at the tests that Daniel faced in his life because Daniel passed those tests and as he passed them it made him unshakable. And we see Daniel in the midst of a hostile culture. Age of 15, he's taken from his homeland of Israel, and with 25% of the population, the cream of the crop out of the country, they were hauled off to the empire of Babylon. And there, Daniel and three of his friends were selected for a training program to serve uh, the king of Babylon, to serve in his court. And Daniel, because of his character, because of his wisdom, because of God's blessing on his life, Daniel began to work his way up through the process. We're going to see at the end of this series, Daniel winds up second in command uh, in the country uh, as a foreigner who's a believer in God in a pagan nation. Amazing, amazing story. But we were also looking at some tests of other people in the story as well. Last week we looked at the test that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, faced. And today we're going to look at a test that Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, faced. Uh, We're in Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar has died, and his grandson, uh, Belshazzar, is now the king. And Belshazzar was an absolutely horrible leader. Uh, He was nothing but a spoiled royal brat. And all he wanted to do was drink and party with his friends. And so sensing weakness on his part, his enemies, two biggest enemies, Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Great of Persia, they combined forces and they besieged the city of Babylon. And so in the story this weekend, these two armies are camped around the city of Babylon and things are about to change for Belshazzar. But this kid king, he's not worried about it. He's overconfident. I mean, what does a party boy do when he's attacked? He throws a party. And so he invites a thousand of his friends to come to the royal palace, and they all get drunk. And uh, while they're drunk, as is often the case, uh, he does something stupid. Uh, it's the classic, here, hold my beer, I want to try something stunt, okay? So Daniel 5.1, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and they all got drunk. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor, had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. He thought it would be fun to drink using these goblets intended for the worship of God. Bad idea. So they did use the cups, laughing and making toast to all the pagan gods and idols. Suddenly... The fingers of a human hand appeared in the royal banquet hall and began supernaturally writing on the plaster walls of the royal palace. The king and all the guests watched this hand as it wrote. And so suddenly this hand without a body appears. Remember thing from the Adams family? That's not this, okay? You know, the giant foam finger that you see at the Royals game? That's not this, Okay. But something, whether it's the hand of God or whether it's an apparition or whether it's an angel, uh, it uh, shows up and it starts writing on the wall. And th- this story, 2,500 years ago, is where we get the expression, the handwriting is on the wall. You ever hear that expression? It comes from this story. And the phrase, the handwriting is on the wall, means something bad's about to happen to you. Okay? So the handwriting on the wall is a warning to Belshazzar. Uh, that uh, he's going to lose the kingdom, he's going to die that night, in fact, because of his sacrilegious behavior, because he hasn't been humble before God. So when the king saw this, the hand writing on the wall, it scared him to death. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his hips gave way. And the phrase hips gave way is kind of a Hebrew, uh, uh, Jewish idiom for uh, he soiled his pants. Okay? I mean, he is so scared. It scared the, let's move on. (laughs) I I don't mean to be indiscreet, but that's what happened here. Okay? And so a thousand guests see this handwriting on the wall. Nobody can read it. Nobody understands it. They can't interpret it. So they call for Daniel, smartest guy in the empire, to come to the banquet hall and translate the message. So Daniel comes and he says, this is the message of the handwriting on the wall. Meanie, meanie, Tekel, parson. And they didn't understand it because it's in Aramaic. That's the language that they spoke back in Israel. That's the language that Jesus spoke. Remember when you saw The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie, and they were speaking in a language, that had English subtitles, because they were speaking Aramaic. So Daniel reads, not only reads it, he translates it, and then he interprets it. He says, "Mene" means numbered. It means your days are numbered, Belshazzar. Your time, your time is up. Your number's been called. Tekel means uh, you have been weighed in the balance, like a scale. And God has measured you, and you haven't measured up. And parson means divided. means your kingdom is going to be divided. Tonight, the Medes and the Persians are going to divide your, their, your kingdom between them. And so Daniel, this is amazing, because Daniel does the right thing. He gets promoted again. Uh, then King Belshazzar commanded that a royal robe, purple robe be put on Daniel and a gold chain was put around his neck and the king named Daniel to be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And he doesn't shoot the messenger, he promotes the messenger. Pretty amazing. But that very night, Belshazzar was slain and Darius the Mede took over his kingdom at the age of 62. And so uh, this guy, he only had a two-year reign because he was so inept and because he dishonored God. Now, first of all today, I want us to look at why they called Daniel when they didn't know what to do. Because there are a lot of crises in our world today, and we desperately need Daniels. We need women and men today who are godly men and women who understand God's word and who can understand our times and the way way we need to respond. And Daniel had developed the reputation of being the go-to guy because he's the wisest man uh, in the empire. Uh, On your notes, on the screen, look what the queen said about Daniel. Uh, This man, Daniel, has a sharp mind and is filled with knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain the meaning of mysteries, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what it means. And so Daniel shows up in the banquet hall, and the king says, I have heard, Daniel, that the Spirit of God is in you, that you possess brilliant knowledge and extraordinary wisdom. I mean, what an incredible reputation this guy has. Wouldn't you like people to say that about you? I mean, he's got the Spirit of God. He has brilliant knowledge and extraordinary wisdom. I mean, I just think, uh, what a tremendous reputation. How, how do I become, how do you become wise like Daniel?" I mean, God used Daniel because he's wise. But the truth is, wisdom is a choice. Wisdom is a choice that you make to pursue wisdom. We see that all the way through the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is something that you, you can chase after and get and have in your life. Proverbs 4.13 says, Always remember what you have learned. Your education is your life, so guard it well. So how do I learn from those who came before me? I want to give you five ways that you can become wise in in life. And number one, you make a commitment to never stop learning. Proverbs 23, 12, commit yourself to instruction. And tune in your ears to hear words of knowledge. You know, your education does not stop when you graduate. And I hear so many people say, man, I can't wait till I get out of school. I can stop all this learning. But the, the truth is you're never going to be finished with your education. The rest of your life is you got to be in education mode because God always has something new for you to learn. Now, learning is not a stage of life, learning is a style of life. Because God, God's got something new for you every day, and you've got to make a commitment to never stop learning. And so I would just want to ask you, what new skill are you learning? What what new new education goal have you set for yourself? What are you going to learn this year that's going to make you better, make you more grounded, make you more, more useful, wiser than you were last year? What are you learning now that you didn't know before? Because lifelong learning is the key to being a leader. All leaders are learned. The moment you stop learning, you stop leading. Now, you can't take people any farther than you've already gone yourself. And the other thing about learning is it brings success. It brings The Bible says it brings profit. Uh, the more you learn, the more you earn. And that's true in the business world. It's, it's just true in general. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.10 has been a key verse in my life. It says, if an axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. You know, chopping wood with a dull axe obviously takes more energy. But if your axe is sharp, and sharpening your axe represents skill, it doesn't take as much effort. You know, a lot of people get real almost proud about how hard they work. Man, I'm working hard. You know, the Bible over and over encourages us to work smarter, not harder. Just because you're working hard doesn't mean you're working smart. And you are never wasting your time when you're sharpening your axe. You're never wasting your time when you're developing skill. And right now, here in this service, you're sharpening your spiritual axe. That's what you do. I applaud you for that. Uh, You know, you show up, student service tonight, students, parents, you come to that. You're sharpening your axe. Go to growth track. You're sharpening your axe. You get plugged into a small group. You're sharpening your spiritual axe. And the Bible says. But the skill that you learn as you do that will bring success. It's going to make a difference in how you live. And it goes beyond desire. A lot of people have a great desire to do good things and to succeed. But if you don't develop the skill, then you don't have the ability to do it. And so you can work hard, but if you don't have the skill, you know, it takes more energy. Uh, the Bible says that it brings profit, uh, Proverbs 19, 8. Do yourself a favor and learn all you can. Then remember what you learn, and you will prosper. So the wiser you become, the better your life is, the better your marriage is, the better your family is, the better your career is. So you want to make a lifelong commitment to learning. Learn something new every day that God wants to teach you. Number two, you've got to learn the lessons of the prior generation. If you want to be wise, this is the mistake Belshazzar made. I mean, he could have learned the lessons that, that would have prevented his kingdom from being overthrown if he would have paid attention to what his grandfather had done. Because his grandfather made all the same mistakes. But, but Belshazzar didn't learn from him, and so he made those same mistakes, and he lost it, lost his life. But you've got to learn the lessons from the prior generation. Job 8.8, 8, ask the former generations and find out what their fathers learned. For we were born only yesterday and we know so little. You know, When I was a young teen, when I was a young man, I mean, honestly, I thought my father was the most ignorant person on the planet. And I tell you, the older I get, the smarter my father becomes. I mean, I realize now, you know, I'm going to be 62 next week, and I, and I realize, you know what, my dad was a genius. And my grandfather... I would give anything to have my grandfather here to help me walk through these stages of life and what's going on. I mean, a tremendously wise man. And so you've got got to humble yourself, especially in your youth. Humble yourself and be willing to learn from the previous generations. And yes, they made mistakes. My dad made mistakes. He made mistakes as a husband, as a father, in business. I mean, he made lots of mistakes. But you can learn from somebody's mistakes if you're humble enough. But instead, we oftentimes choose, well, I'm going to go out and just make my own mistakes. What a dumb thing to do, okay? Learn from the mistakes of others. Uh, I want you to write these down, four words, uh, no outline, no, no blank for you, just uh, write down. Mentors, models, partners, and friends. Mentors, models, partners, and friends. Because you need all four of those types of people if, if you're going to become a wise person. And first one is you need mentors. And mentors are are just the coaches in your life. And I've had had several different mentors in my life. And truthfully, with mentors, they're people that you may never even know, you may never even have a conversation with. They may be people that you just read their books and you just listen to their teachings or you just learn from them. And, and, you know, guys like Dave Ramsey and and, uh, Dr. James Dobson and and other people. Rick Warren was a mentor uh, in my life for a number of years. Then I actually met the guy and got to know him, and now he's a friend. But you know, you, these mentors, you, you, know, you need them for different areas of your life because nobody's good at everything. And so I've made it a point. I've got a spiritual mentor. I've got a, a, a husband mentor. I've got a father mentor. I've got a ministry mentor, a financial mentor. I mean, you, know, you just pick these people and you let them coach and speak into your life in those different areas. But you, you want to have those mentors that you're learning from. And then you need models. And the difference between a mentor and a model is a model is somebody that you can actually see, you can actually do life with, and you can see them up close. Uh, You know, they're typically people who've already done what you want to do, because we learn the fastest when other people model behavior for us. And I'd recommend that you pick a model for every decade of your life. Uh, When Katie and I got married, I was 18, she was 12. And... (laughs) And, uh, and as a young married couple, we made the decision that we were going to pick models uh, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and even 90s. And we picked married couples uh, in, in every decade that we could uh, look to. And that we could watch how they did marriage. And we found a young couple in their 20s, no kids, just getting started out, but they were about eight years older than we were, plugged into church, solid spiritual couple, had a great marriage going on. And we just watched them to see, well, how do they do in marriage? And then we had a, a couple in their 30s that had young kids just getting started in their career, and we watched them. How, how does this godly couple, uh, you know, navigate the waters of, of having kids? And then we had a, a couple in their 40s uh, that, you know, they had teenage kids and kind of moving into the prime of their career. And then we had a couples in their 50s uh, that were, uh, you know, their kids were grown and in college and, uh, and, and successful in life. And then we had uh, couples in their 60s that we would look at in uh, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, and we, we did everything we could to connect with those people and spend time with them and just watch, how do they do this? How do they do this? And listen, this stuff doesn't have to be a huge, heavy deal. You, you don't have to spend you know, an hour a week with your mentor. You, you, know, you don't have to you know, spend all this time with your mom. Just get up close to people and watch them. Or just get up close to them and live life with them. You know, Katie and I, we made it a point to be in uh, small groups with couples that were older than us, so we could watch them and get to know them and know what they do. I love to be in a small group with guys who are older than me. It's getting harder and harder all the time, <laughs> but, but I, love, I love it because, man, you can, you know, you can watch uh, what's going on. And listen, there aren't any perfect people, and so we'd watch our models, and some of them crashed and burned, broke our heart, but you can learn a lot from watching somebody else crash and burn. And you can learn a lot from watching how they pick up the pieces and put things back together and, and move on uh, over a failure. And so you, you want to identify the, those models, people who are down the road ahead of you, and then just get up close to them. And, uh, you know, we used to invite we'd invite them over to the house for popcorn and water. We were just a poor, young, married couple. We didn't have any resources. But we'd get these old people in our house and just t- tell us your story. Tell us your story. We'd go out for dessert with them or just, you know, just go to... Some activity. We would love to go to the flea market with people when we lived in Tulsa. But just do life together with, with people older than you and listen. Listen to them. Uh, so you need mo- mentors. You need models. The uh, fourth thing you need is you need partners. And partners, that's your peer group. They're just kind of the, 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 the co-workers in your profession. Uh, they're, they're the people that are kind of at the same stage of life. You know, iron sharpens iron. Uh, two are better than one. We're better together. And so you want to surround yourself with wise partners. Look for people who are doing life at the same stage you are, that are doing it right, doing it wise, and get in there and work together. And then the fourth thing you need is you just need friends. And friends aren't helping you reach a goal. Friends are just friends. They're just people that do fun stuff with. You know, friends love you no matter what you do. You know know what a friend is? A, A friend is the person who's running into your life when everybody else is running out. And, and you've got to have those people. You've got to have some friends. But you want people in your life that you are building into, or uh, that are building into you, and then you want to be building into somebody else. You really need both. You, you need a mentor. You need a Paul in your life, and you need a Timothy. And, you know, I've got some young guys around here that I'm building into, and, man, I love doing that. In fact, I am learning so much from these guys, and, uh, and I love pouring into them. And you'll be amazed, you start pouring into somebody younger than you, you'll be amazed what you learn and learn from them and what gets passed on to them. All the lessons in life are past. All the lessons in life are past. All the opportunities in life are in the future. But you can't take advantage of the opportunities in the future if you don't learn the lessons of the past. Because all you're going to do is make the same mistakes and miss those opportunities. But the more you understand what's happened in the past, the, the, more you're, the wiser you're going to become. You know what? The more you're going to realize it's all been done before. Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, said there's nothing new under the sun. And he said that, you know, uh, uh, 3,000 years ago. So there's really nothing new now. In fact, if you study history, you'll discover that history is cyclical. And that over the 5,000 years of recorded history, we have repeated the same pattern 26 times. In fact, all this junk that's going on in the world today, we've done this over and over and over again. There's nothing new. Technology's a little different. You know, we've got nukes now, but, you know, it's what, what's happened, human behavior, the pro, this is the exact same thing. And you start studying history, and you'll realize, you know what? We did this 300 years ago, 900 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 2,500 years ago with Belshazzar and the Medes and the Persians. The truth is, players are even the same. You know, the Persians, that's the Iranians. You know, the Medes, that's the Iraqis and all those dudes. Same people doing the same stupid stuff over and over and over again. The more you study history, the wiser you will become, the more grounded you'll become in all of this. You know, people always want to read the new hot book Let me tell you something. Once in a while, you need to read an old book. You'll be amazed. Just read an old, read a really old book, and you'll be amazed at what you'll learn from it. And and one of the best books you can read is this one right here. I mean, the thing I love about the Bible is it's mostly biographies. I mean, it's stories of real people. Moses was a real person. These aren't fairy tales. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, Beersheim, these guys are real people. Jesus, a real person, lived a real life here here in the world. And the cool thing about the Bible is is it doesn't just tell you the good stuff about them, it tells you the truth. And so you can learn from their mistakes. The more you know know about that book, the wiser you're going to become. Look at this first in 1 Corinthians. It says, these things, that's the stuff in the Bible, these things occurred as examples to warn us and keep us from wanting to do the same evil things they did. For Scripture says that we should avoid drunken parties, sexual immorality, and worshiping things that aren't God. We should not test the Lord's patience or grumble and complain as some did and died. These things happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Okay? You you gotta hear the warning, you gotta learn the lesson. Number three, if you're gonna be wise, and actually if you're gonna learn the lessons, you gotta maintain a humble attitude that honors God. Proverbs 15:33, reverence for the Lord is an education in itself. You must be humble before you can ever receive honors. You've got to have a humble attitude before God. And I just want to tell you know what the first mark of uh, humility toward God is? You know what the first mark of humility for a believer is? It's being baptized. That's why in the Great Commission, Jesus said, go make disciples, next thing he says, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You read through the book of Acts, you see over and over again, people believe they get baptized. They believe they get baptized. Why? Because it's the first mark of humility on the part of a believer. You know, a lot of times people don't want to, don't want to get baptized. They don't want to get all wet, get their hair all droopy in front of a bunch of people. And so they just, you know what that is? It's pride. It's pride. And God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He says, if you humble yourself, if you obey, obey me, man, I'll just pour out my grace on you. And some people say, well, you know, I was baptized as a, as a baby. My parents took care of that for me. Well, that was a statement of faith by your parents. I mean, you don't remember that. You don't even remember being there if it happened when you were a baby. And uh, it, that was their decision, not yours. And so you need to make a, a decision about your own faith. You need to demonstrate your own faith in, in God through your own baptism. You know how old Jesus was when he got baptized? He was 30. He was 30. It was an adult decision. Now, he was dedicated when he was a baby, and his parents took him to the temple and dedicate him. But, you know, his adult baptism didn't invalidate the dedication he had as a baby. He did both. He did both. So you, you want to humble yourself before God. You know, we're going to be doing baptisms next week, and you can, you can sign up today. Get plugged in if you're a believer and you've never been baptized. I would encourage you to do it because it will open the door for God to pour his wisdom into your life number 4 you got to refuse to fill my mind with garbage people they are all worried about air pollution and water pollution uh, you know they're all they all want to eat organic they're you know i grew up on a farm i know what organic means okay so you know but you know they're all worried about that but you know they're not worried about the pollution that they allow into their minds and the concepts, and the words, and the thoughts, and the images that are actually harmful to your life. Junk on television, and in movies, and books, and on the internet. I mean, what you feed your mind is as important, I think it's actually more important than what you feed your body. And so you want to ask yourself, what do you need to eat more of mentally? What do you need to eat less of mentally? Because there's basically four kinds of mental food that you can put into your mind. And one of them is, is you can fill your mind with poison. There are mental concepts, there are ideas that will actually degrade you, demoralize you, defeat you, even derange you. I mean, there are self-defeating thoughts that are poison. Pornography is poison. It's a poison that you put into your mind and it destroys your life. You want to stay as far away from that as possible. So there's poison and then there's junk food. There's stuff that just has no mental nutritional value. And frankly, that's mostly the stuff that you see on TV. I and mean, it's just the equivalent of mental Twinkies. And, and, and you know, it's not going to make you wise. Uh, I, honestly, if you watch enough of it, it'll make you stupid. I mean, it just, there's no benefit to it. Uh, the third thing is, is you can fill your mind with brain food. And that's the good stuff. And some of you are headed back to school in just a few days, and I just want to encourage you. Math, English, science, history, geography. I mean, that's brain food. And you want to load up on that stuff. You want to take advantage of it. It'll make you a stronger, more well-rounded, well-grounded person. But in addition to brain food, there's actually a super food, and it's not kale. There's a super food for your brain, okay? Okay. And, and that's the Bible. The, the Bible is, is, is super... It can teach you stuff that you're not going to get anywhere else. And the Bible has the answers for the fundamental questions of life. Uh, who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? What am I supposed to do? How do I live my life here? How, what, what happens to me when I die? What, what am I going to be doing in eternity? The Bible has answers to all those questions. And people are looking for those answers. And that's why you want to load your mind up with that stuff. Because if you do, you'll be wise and people will call on you like they did Daniel. Because you'll know stuff that they don't know. But if I'm loading my brain up with six or eight hours of TV every day, I'm not going to have the appetite for superfood. You know, I mean, that's why a lot of, even Christians don't read the Bible because they just load their brain up with a bunch of junk food. And so you, you want to make, make a commitment to putting good stuff into your brain. Fifth thing, if you're going to be wise, you've got to put into practice what I've already learned. You've got to put into practice what you've already learned. A little phrase to write down in your outline somewhere, I haven't learned it until I do it. I haven't learned it until I do it. And King Belshazzar, he loses everything because he failed on this last point. He failed to put into practice what he had seen and learned. He pridefully refuses to learn the lessons of the prior generation. I mean, he's the grandson, the most famous king of the biggest empire of that day. He, he saw Nebuchadnezzar literally lose his mind, lose his kingdom for seven years. He saw all the mistakes that his grandfather made, and he saw his grandfather repent and correct those mistakes and, and, and come back. But he chose to ignore the lessons his grandfather had learned. He chose to be prideful and throw parties. And God said, "Well, I might understand if you didn't know this stuff, but you knew it. And so I'm going to hold you accountable for it. Your kingdom's going to be taken away from you." And Daniel was the one guy in the empire who had the courage to step up and point it out. Look what he said in verse 22. Daniel said, "King Belshazzar, even though you knew all that happened to your father, Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar was his grandfather. They're using the term father here as, uh, like uh, ancestor. Predecessor. And so he says, you know, uh, even though you knew all that happened to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't learn from his life. And you still refuse to humble yourself before God who rules from heaven. Daniel says, you knew it, but you didn't learn it. You knew it, but you didn't do it. Because there's a difference between knowing and doing. And you can know a lot of things, but you haven't learned it until you put it into practice. You know, I go through Financial Peace University and I don't change how I handle my money. I haven't learned it. I know the stuff, but I haven't learned it. You go through a marriage small group or to a marriage conference and come back, you don't do anything different in your marriage. You haven't learned it. You just know it. If I'm reading through a a diet book and I'm underlining and highlighting stuff and writing down recipes and I'm eating a piece of pecan pie and a Twinkie, I I haven't learned it because I'm not doing it. The same is true with God. You know, I can know about God. I can know about Him. But if I've never trusted in Him, if I've never looked to Jesus Christ to save me from my sins and give me the new life that He offers us, the spiritual life, then I I haven't learned it. I just know it. And the big lesson from this story is if I don't humbly learn from the generations before me, I will end up making the exact same mistakes. And see, that's often what happens with us, with the previous generation. You know, we'll get wounded by them. I mean, I was wounded, seriously wounded by my father. But as I've gotten older, I've come to realize, well, he was wounded by his dad. And chances are, my uh, my grandpa was wounded by his dad. And I made the decision that I was going to break that cycle. And I wasn't going to make the same mistakes that they did and wound my kids. I wanted to do something new. I wanted to do something different. I want to break that cycle. And so I learned from their mistakes. And then I learned a new and right way to do it by looking into God's Word. And, and, th- and that's what you've got to do in life. You, you've got to... you know Some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches because they're going to know all about God and, and, and they're going to have thoughts about Him and they're going to think that, you know, this is the way it ought to be and this is how it ought to happen. But it's never going to get to their heart. They're never going to make a decision to trust in Jesus Christ to save them. And so you got, you got to get it from here down to here. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 says some people have missed the most important thing in life they don't know God. And you can be real smart, you can know string theory and chaos theory and quantum physics, but if you don't know God, you've missed the purpose of your life. And some of you, you're A students, and I congratulate that. I'm, I'm all for academic excellence. But at the end of your life, God's going to give you a final test. It's going to be a final test. And it's going to have two questions on it. Two-question test. And fortunately, it's an open book test. He's given us the answers. And the first question he's going to ask you is, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? First question, what did you do with Jesus Christ? Did you trust him as your Lord and Savior? Or did you just think, oh, he was just kind of a cool person in history. And You know, if he's your Lord, it means he's controlling your life and telling you how to live and what to do. And so he's going to ask you, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the second question he's going to ask you is, what did you do with the life that my son gave you? What did you do with that new, eternal, abundant life? Did you fulfill the purpose that I made you for? Did you use the gifts, talents, and abilities that I gave you? Or did you just do what you wanted to do with them? Because God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. God has a program for our age. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. And you can pour your life into anything else you want to pour it into. And I guarantee you, at the end, it's going to burn up in smoke. The only thing that gets out of this world alive is the church. It's the church. And that's why God wants you to be a part of it. And that's why he wants to, you to pour your life into it. Because, baby, it's your ark, it's your life raft, it's your way out of here. And so you want to be prepared for that final test. You want to have made a decision that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you want to know what your purpose is, and you want to fulfill it. So you can stand before God and say, I got it, I got this. Two questions, <laughs> I got it. Here you go. I love your son Jesus, and I live my life for you and your church. It'll be a great day for you. Let's pray. You just pray this simple prayer and the quietness of, of your heart and mind. God will hear you. Just say, God, I, just as humbly as I can today, I just open my life up to you. I want to start the lifelong journey of learning about you. And I want to make a commitment to never stop learning more about you. And God, I especially want to learn the lessons of prior generations. I don't want to make the same mistakes they did. God, I want to get a, I want to get a leg up and build on their successes and avoid their failures. And so I just want to humble myself and humble myself before you and learn from you and learn from them. But God, help me to be, be discriminating of what I let into my mind. There's just so much poison, so much junk out there that wants to crawl into my mind and take root. God, help me. Help me to resist that and instead to load up with brain food, to load up with the superfood that comes from your word. And God, most of all, help me to practice what I've learned. I don't want to get to the end of my life, that final exam, and and, and fail. I want to know the answers. I want to have built those answers into my life so that you can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your reward. God, thank you. Thank you for your love for us and for the gift of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.